aeonium in it. The Spirit of God left him. Now, now, I'm, not, I'm not saying that as a warning because we know that the Spirit of God did not indwell him in the same way that it does believers. We know that the Spirit of God indwells us and remains in us. But there's something sobering to think about a disobedience and how that is so separate from what God intends with His Spirit that in the case of Samson, the Spirit of God left him. And the ending of his life went like this. He was betrayed by a woman, captured by his enemies, had his eyes gouged out, and was mocked and humiliated. And at the very end, he prayed and asked God for strength one last time to avenge himself. And God granted the strength. And Samson, by the power of God, dislodged the pillars of a building that housed thousands of people, at least over a thousand, better than a thousand people, who had gathered to mock him. And the result was this. The scriptures say it exactly like this. So the dead he killed at his death were more than those he killed during his life. How can we say that God was intentional in all this? Well, the author of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 32 through 34. Listen, we've read these before, but I want you to listen to them again. And what more shall I say? Speaking of the faith, the faith that was for the glory of God, that pointed to the glory of God. Faith. For time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, and were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war. And put foreign enemies to flight. I was thinking about Samson's story. Not like Jesus at all in righteousness. But I was thinking about the end of his life. In that he was promised. He came. He fulfilled the purpose of God. He avenged the enemies of God. And then... In his disobedience, unlike Christ, he had the Spirit of God leave him. He fell under the hands of those who sought him and sought his life. He was mocked. And when they thought they had him, like Christ, when they thought they had him, the power of God came upon him. We read it just a moment ago in Romans chapter 8. The Spirit of God came upon Christ in his death and gave him life. And in that, God was glorified. God is intentional. Why stress this? Because if we fail to see the intentionality of God in the giving of his Spirit and his fruit to his children then we will fail in being intentional in seeking to reflect the glory of God in a fallen world. Now how do joy, how does joy accomplish this? Now remember, we're not doing an exhaustive study of either joy, peace, or any of the fruit of the Spirit. But we are seeking to see God's intentional 
act in giving us fruit to bring glory to Him. In other words, to reflect His glory. Well, a good way to begin is just simply to define joy. Let's take a moment and define joy. Joy as Christian joy. Joy as a fruit of the Spirit of God. Joy as a characteristic of God in the life of a believer. I'm going to give you my definition, and it is kind of a, a compilation of thoughts of others, uh, and many others in the course of this. But here is my definition of joy. Christian joy, I believe, can best be summed up by saying that it is an attitude of the heart stemming from the reality of the abiding presence of God that stirs our emotion to joyful feeling, thinking, and ultimately celebration. I'll state it again. and You can just write down the key words if you're taking notes. That Christian joy is summed up by saying that it is an attitude of the heart stemming from the reality of the abiding presence of God that stirs our emotion to joyful feeling, joyful thinking, and ultimately joyful celebration. Now let me explain what we're getting at. Joy is an emotion. It's an emotion. But as is true of every emotion and every emotional response, something occurs to stimulate that emotion or something prompts a certain emotional discharge something touches us on the inside resulting in an emotional response so what we're saying is that christian joy is an attitude of the heart created from the conscious reality of the presence of god and what he has done and what he is about well, let's look at a few texts that will help us with this. David writes in Psalm 1611. You may want to turn there. But David writes, he said, You make known to me the path of my life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Hear it again. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So what David is saying is that it is the presence of God where the fullness of joy is found. The presence of God is where the fullness of joy is found. And it is in the closeness with God where the greatest pleasures reside. Now I want you to think about this for just a moment. Who is at the right hand of God? Well, we know that Christ is at the right hand of God. That's what David is speaking of. Remember the author of Hebrews wrote, After making purification for sin, he sat down at the right hand of majesty on high. David is pointing us to the fact that the greatest of pleasures is Christ. And it is in the presence of God that we find fullness of joy. And we find fullness of joy back, back, back up again because we are looking at what God has done 
and what He is about. Remember, we are saying that in Christian joy, it is an attitude of the heart created from the conscious reality of the presence of God, what He has done and what He is about. And in the presence of God, we know what He is about because at His right hand is His Son who has made purification for sin. Let's follow along and track along a little bit. Paul writes in Romans chapter 14 and verse 17, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Hear that again. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating or drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy Where? In the Holy Spirit. We'll come back to the context a little bit later on. But Paul is saying that the kingdom of God is or has to do with righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. We want to concentrate right now just on joy in the Holy Spirit. Now what does Paul have in mind when he refers to the kingdom of God? We saying about it. We even read about it here in Galatians. Well, he's referring to God's rule and reign. Remember, when Jesus was teaching His disciples to pray, what did He pray? He said, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be Your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. He says, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done. So we see that the rule and the reign of God, one, has no boundaries. It's not limited to heaven and it's not limited to earth, but the boundaries of His rule and reign expand across His creation. But Paul is not talking about God in in what he is saying as creator, he is talking about him in his saving power, which is exactly what I believe Jesus was praying. He said, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, but he precedes all of that by saying, holy is your name, hallowed be your name. What is he pointing to? Jesus is talking about the saving reign and rule of God, which is exactly what Paul is writing about in Romans chapter 14 when he says that his kingdom is righteousness and peace and joy. Where? In the Holy Spirit. Jesus is pointing to the will of God pertaining to salvation and redemption. Paul speaking of the kingdom of God in the same way. And as we've said, we know He is because He is pointing us to the Holy Spirit. And it is the Holy Spirit that indwells us. Remember, we've been talking about this as an objective reality. So we can say that the fullness of joy is found in the presence of God. In other words, it's not found anywhere else. So, for instance, if we are looking for the fullness of joy in our life, and the fact is, is every believer is looking, should be looking toward the fullness of joy. But every unbeliever also longs for joy in his or her life. You know why? Because it is one of the communicable attributes of God. It is something that they would naturally look for 
But the joy that we are talking about, we have already said, is not a natural joy, but it is a supernatural joy because it comes by and comes through and is delivered by and is worked out and is given to us by the Spirit of God who dwells in us. So we say that the fullness of joy is found in the presence of God. The question then is this, how or why does this create an attitude of the heart that fuels the emotion of joy? Okay? If the fullness of joy is found in the presence of God, how or why does this fuel the emotion? What is it it strikes within us that fuels this emotion of joy? Well, I believe part of it comes because it is grounded in hope. Look at Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Paul writes, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith. Now, I want you to stop there for just a moment. What has Paul been writing to the Galatians about? He has been writing about their justification coming from Christ alone, by faith alone, not by the works of the law. So we're dealing with the same subject matter. We're talking about their justification. Meaning, we are talking about the forgiveness of sin because that wrath of God has been borne by Christ who is the propitiation for sin and the righteousness that comes in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we're talking about in this thing of justification. Well, Paul tells us here that there is hope in this justification. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. And we're going to come back to this next week when we deal with peace. But we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and listen to this, and this is where joy comes in, and we rejoice, in other words, joy, the emotion of joy is demonstrated through rejoicing, okay? So we rejoice, we have joy in the hope that hope that comes to us that we are given by virtue of being justified and being brought to peace with God now erupts within our own being and in our heart when we understand the reality of that and we rejoice in the hope, what does it say? In the glory of God. We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we rejoice in sufferings. Now, notice that this hope and sufferings are coupled together. What does it help us understand? Well, it helps us understand that joy does not leave just because hardship comes. Joy is not something that flees and runs away. Joy is not something that we lose because hardship and suffering and difficulty come. No, joy is an attitude of the heart that is the fullness of which is found in the presence of God. 
Knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Adam pointed us to this text last week. We read this text. Then later in the letter, Paul writes in Romans chapter 12 and verse 12, he says, rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation and be constant in prayer. If you'll recall, when we read this morning from Philippians chapter 4, what did we begin? Rejoice in the Lord. Again, I say always rejoice in the Lord. In other words, rejoice in the One in whom we have hope. And then we were commanded to what? To not be anxious, but to give our attention to prayer and thanksgiving. Paul here in Romans 12.12 says rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, and be constant in prayer. Why? Because tribulation and suffering is not disconnected from the glory of God. It's not disconnected from hope. Here he's conveying that joy is commanded. Now think about that for a moment. Here we have a supernatural work that comes by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and it is a fruit of the character of God. It is a characteristic of God and a fruit. We've already said we don't bear it naturally. It is a supernatural work and yet Paul says rejoice in it. In other words, take joy in it. He is commanding. That is an imperative. How can he do that? Think about it for a moment. How can we do that? Well, he can command it because it is produced by the Holy Spirit and is evidenced when we live by the Spirit and keep in step with the Spirit, which is what Paul is urging the Galatians to do. Hear it again. Walk by the Spirit. Be led by the Spirit. Live by the Spirit. Keep in step with the Spirit. Augustine once said, Father, command what you will and grant what you command. Command what you will and grant what you command. And he prayed, O God, if you're going to command me these things, grant that you would give them when you command them. What was he acknowledging? He was acknowledging that I can't do this, but you can. How does joy reflect the glory of God? Have you thought about that? Uh, To be honest with you, I never have dwelled on it in the way that I have dwelled on it as we have dealt with this passage because we have been looking at the fruit of the Spirit as it reflects the glory of God in a fallen world. And I know that is exactly what Paul is pointing to because he's talking about justification and he is talking about the witness, and we'll look at this in just a moment. He's talking about the witness of the church in the world. That's what he's talking about. Therefore, the witness of the glory of God in the world. But how does it reflect the glory of God? Well, I believe it does so in at least two ways. First, It dwells on the glory of God. In other words, the joy dwells on and the person who has joy dwells on the glory of God. 
dwells on the glory of God. When God's glory is the focus of one's life, then the result is an attitude of joy because the heart is filled with hope. And the question would be, hope in what? Hope in what? Well, let's hear what Jesus had to say. Take your Bibles and turn to John 15. In John 15, verses 1 through 11, listen, listen at the progression of this. We have, we studied this when we studied John with Brian in our connect group. Uh, We dealt with this text the first year that we were together. We started right out of the gate with the gospel of John. I don't know that I've sensed the progressive nature of what Jesus is saying until I was dwelling on it in light of what we are looking at today. Listen to the progression. Jesus says, I'm the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. I want to stop here. We are not speaking of, and Jesus is not speaking here of the fruit of the Spirit. He is speaking of the fruit that is born in the life of a believer as it has to do with God's mission and His work. Now they are not, they're not the same, but they're not separated. And that's the point we want to make. In other words, The fruit of the Spirit, the characteristics of God born in our life by the indwelling of the Spirit will fuel, as it matures, spiritual fruit born in the mission and the work of God. Okay? We can have the command of the mission and work of God, but if we are not growing in maturity, in in reflecting the glory of God in the characteristics of God by the fruit of the Spirit, we will not accomplish the mission of God. Okay? I believe that I believe this is good for us, and here's why. We could preach all day long on seeking to be ardent evangelists. We could preach all day long on seeking uh, to reach our neighbors. But if we have not started with giving attention to reflecting the glory of God in the fruit of the Spirit, we will never get to the place to bear the spiritual fruit of evangelism, the spiritual fruit of soul winning, the spiritual fruit of disciple making. Because the characteristics of God are not growing within us in the fruit of the Spirit. Follow along and you'll see how this takes shape. He said, already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you as a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Pause. Where have we said that the fullness of joy is? In the presence of God. What is it that Jesus is speaking of? Abiding in the vine in the presence of God. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me 
and my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Okay? Pause. Hold there just a moment. Go back and look. Hold your place in John. Turn back to Galatians chapter 5. Look in verse 24. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. In other words, they are seeking to walk by the Spirit, putting aside all the things that would separate them from the glory of God and the purpose of God and the work of God. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. You see the connection there? You see how those fold right together. They they are made for each other. By this my Father is glorified. In verse verse 8. That you may bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things, hear this, these things I have spoken to you. Why? That my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. In the fullness, the fullness of joy is found in the presence of God. Adam helped us with this last week as we began to consider the love of God. And we see how this love of God in the abiding relationship that we have with Him is welded in and welds us together with Him for the glory of God, to bring glory to His name, to bear the spiritual fruit as the fruit of the Spirit is developing in us as we continue to abide in Him. I find it interesting that we are commanded, in other words, there is an imperative to rejoice in the Lord. There is an imperative, there is an imperative to walk by the Spirit, to live by the Spirit, to keep in step with the Spirit. And Jesus gives the imperative to love and abide in Him. All of those are commands for us. And see, these things are reflected in our relationships in the body. We don't have time to dig into it. But if you go back and read Romans chapter 12 through 16 you'll see what we were talking about when we looked at Romans 14. But as we look at the situation among the Galatian churches, we see exactly what Paul is talking about. Christ is intentional in His work on the cross. God is intentional in His work through Christ on the cross. For the purpose of the Spirit of God to dwell in us intentionally, to bear 
the characteristics of God intentionally to bear spiritual fruit intentionally for the glory of God. And in Galatians, we see that Christ set them free. And we'll talk more about this next week. But Christ has set them free to love each other well and reflect joy in that love and to care for one another. Now I want to close. I want us to consider for a moment how this fruit can be cultivated. In other words, we are commanded to rejoice. We are commanded to have joy. It's kind of hard to have someone command or demand or to demand a certain emotional response, isn't it? And joy is an emotion. That how? It's created, remember? Created by a conscious, a conscious understanding of the indwelling of God and what He has done in Christ Jesus in dying for our sin and bearing the wrath of God for atoning for our sin, giving us life, making us at peace with God. God is intentional in every bit of that. And that should, in the life of a believer, and will, in the life of a believer, emit an emotion of joy. And fullness of joy as we are in the presence of God. So how is it cultivated? It's simple. It's simple. It's cultivated as we encounter Him in His Word. I'm going to tell you what I know about me, and I'm going to tell you what I know about you, and I want to tell you what I know about everybody else. Your joy and my joy will ebb and flow with the time and attention that we give to encountering God in His Word. This is true of me and true of you. I don't get a chance to see you when we're singing, and I do get a chance to see you most weeks as I'm standing here and seeing, are you tracking along with God's Word? Are you listening? Do you have a hunger for it? Are you hungry and thirsty to know the truths of God's Word or, or not? Okay? But I'm not here, I'm not up here most of the time when you're singing. But I have stood in front of professing believers who in the course of singing emitted no joy. It, joy is an emotion that captures and takes over and changes and impacts our countenance. It just does. Now it doesn't mean that we are giddy and grinning. It can mean that we're weeping tears of joy. But when the reality that Christ has died for our sins and has justified us and remains in us and stays with us to the end, and that we walk with Him, and He walks with us, and He carries us all the way, as I was singing this morning, even across Jordan, speaking even into death He is with us. 
That in the heart of a believer will emit and spark and stir us to joy. And when that is true, we will come in here and we will sing to the top of our lungs. We will encourage each other. We will come around each other because there are times when some of us are up and some of us are down. And when I am down and I'm in the presence of some of you who are really up and that are experiencing joy, that pours over on me and it encourages me. And you know how it encourages me? I'm not just saying this. I go home and I get in God's Word and I seek Him and His face. Why? Because the fullness of joy is found in the presence of God. So, it will ebb and flow as we encounter Him in His Word. And second, it will ebb and flow in our private and in our corporate worship. It'll ebb and flow in our private and corporate worship. Now, I want to end with this. That is why what we do here every week And I'm going to tell you, and in the way we do it, it's so vital. I had a conversation with Mark this week. Mark's always honest with me, talking with me about some things about me. And in the course of that, as we were talking, I went home and evaluated. And Mark, brother, thank you. It was helpful and has been helpful. But it did cause me to go back and to give attention to why we do what we do here every week. Do you know why we read chapters of Scripture every week? And not just a fleeting portion of a verse occasionally? You need and I need to encounter God in His Word. That is where you will encounter Him. Do you know why our services are necessarily designed to where it's not a rock concert? And and I'm I'm saying that in all honesty, that it is not a rock concert. You're not going to see drummers up on platforms with lights shining on them. And you're not going to see spotlights focused on a speaker. Do you know why that's true from this day and, and has been and will forever be true? Because we are not going to have our emotions manipulated in that way. We need our emotions centered in and around the reality of the presence of a God who has justified us in Christ Jesus and that alone will stir our hearts to joy and will sustain us joyfully in our living. Your joy is going to ebb and flow in the time and attention that you give to encountering God in His Word and in your private and in our corporate worship. I told Booney this morning, Janice will vouch for this, has nothing to do with who's preaching. I was up early last week. 
I can hardly sleep on Saturday nights, literally, because I can't wait to get here on Sundays to gather with my church family and others who will come so that we can, remember that, that, last, that last thing, joyfully feel, joyfully think, think, and joyfully celebrate. I can't wait to get here and joyfully think and feel and celebrate with you. Because it reflects the glory of God. And it is God's glory that He has poured into our hearts in saving us in Christ Jesus. I want to close there. And for those here who have not trusted Christ, you may say, what does all that have to do with me? What does all that have to do with me? Well, here's what it has to do with you is you will never naturally attain what I have just talked about. You will never naturally attain what we have just heard from the pages of Scripture. That is something that comes supernaturally. But I can tell you this, that if you trust the Lord Jesus Christ and His atoning work for you, you will have fullness of joy because you will immediately be brought in to direct contact with the indwelling of the Spirit of God in you and you will be in the presence of God. Then consciously recognize that and seek to bring glory to Him. I hope you've been encouraged. I have.